Welcome to episode number 54, Anxiety Disorders and Teenage Life, Part 1. Now, open defiance, fear, anxiousness, an unwillingness to decide or act, social reclusion, extreme shyness and inability to sleep, wound up, consistently asking questions, unable to be left alone, unwilling to leave home, feeling lost, hopeless, angry, or frustrated. I'm sure if you're a teenager or the parent of one that you've felt and seen probably most of these emotions. They are common in a body that is developing that frontal cortex of the brain where complexity, hormones, and relationships between ideas and emotions are formed. Now, they represent just a part of the normal teenage experience, except when they take up long-term residence and form what is referred to as an anxiety disorder. Now, most often, anxiety disorders are a class of mental illness that accompanies depression and bipolar disorders. However, it's important to know that anxiety is no ancillary illness. It can be and often is a serious condition on its own. It is the most common form of mental illness in our society and often can be one of the more treatable forms, given some identification, time, patience, and a good parental relationship. Now, without identification, anxiety can be far more distressing and baffling than any other of the mental illnesses. It can also affect almost every portion of one's life, to the point of leaving someone confined to their own home or room. Now, the statistics show that one in five people deal with some level of serious anxiety at any given time. But also noted in those same statistics is that only about one-third of those who suffer seek any type of treatment and that includes self-medication. The lack of treatment about the illness, the lack of treatment is actually very telling about the illness. As a society, we don't see anxiety as an illness or something that needs treatment or even a discussion. We see it as something we just have to live with or endure. I'm not sure that many people don't even know they even have an anxiety disorder. The disorder comes about in so many forms, symptoms, feelings, reactions, that to determine that the problem is a serious anxiety issue can be difficult for both the person suffering and even those around them. I think at times it's simply hard to admit that we can't seem to control that worry or concern in our lives and that our consistent worries and persistent concerns begin to are beginning to alter or have altered the things we do, say, and attempt to do. We want to think that we possess the ability to control things like our thoughts and excessive worry and our patterns. But in reality, there are chemical processes in the body that simply run sometimes on their own schedule and are influenced directly and often indirectly by environmental causes and our own perception of those. Now, I know that we are taught that thought leads to action. And of course, that is very true. But we also need to understand that chemical processes in the body can lead to thoughts and sometimes we can't stop the thoughts because we can't control the chemistry. Our bodies are conditioned to respond to threats, real or imagined real. Either way, our bodies respond to those threats. Now, anxiety is an order, disorder itself can be the cause for relationship failures, social retraction, a disintegration from society, study and career failures, and even alter simple daily tasks, such as walking down the road, using the restroom, answering a phone, or opening the door. 
Anxiety can and often does confine teenagers, especially to their homes, and even within those homes to only certain spaces. It causes self-distrust, heartache, loneliness, often, very often, physical illness, depression, a loss of personal freedom, an inability to function within a group or society, and can even lead to suicide if not treated. It is not some lack of drive or willpower that causes such drastic changes in us, but a very real chemical effect upon the mind and body that literally stops action from taking place or at times causes involuntary action. For those who suffer its disabling effects, it's a controlling, mind-altering illness that really takes over one's life without permission or warning signs. Now, if you've not experienced it, it can be a little difficult to explain. Often those who do not suffer with the disorder do not have serious difficulty controlling their anxieties. If you have ever felt, though, a true flight or fight moment for more than just a few seconds, then you might begin to understand just a little bit what it's like to have a, the anxiety disorder, an anxiety disorder. But the reality is that only the sufferer really understands the complexity, the dominion of the disease, and the depths of a prison that true anxiety can create. And in our current society that really expects that you're going to interact with it in certain ways. Now, anxiety does not come in one flavor in the teenage onset version. In fact, you're going to find that anxiety comes with a variety of different symptoms, severities, and sufferings. Our bodies are going to respond individually and very differently to different forms of trigger events. And that includes two people within the same family. It is important to understand that anxieties come from the mind and the chemistry of the body. Now, they come out of a very complex but yet very simple side of the psychology and physiology of the body and mind. For survival, the body needs a mechanism by which it can prepare for the unknown or a threat. It heightens the senses in what is referred to as a flight or fight mode of the body. Certain portions of the body control are given more blood flow and a set of chemicals. Often we refer to them as adrenaline. And they're also given heightened control. And other parts of the body are actually reduced to a very basic function. Now the intent is to protect the body from a threat unknown or unseen and to prepare it to defend itself or flee. Now, because the survival instinct needs to be strong to avoid serious harm to our body, the chemistry involved in this process is powerful, uh, sometimes to the overwhelming of the body and even rational senses that would normally prevail. You know, some refer to it as a basic instinct and almost animalistic in the sense that the chemistry can even overwhelm any rational sense of being and even make one see things so differently that one could mistake a longtime friend or family member as a threat under the right circumstances. People have been known to kill loved ones and friends when startled and holding some type of weapon. It is fairly easy to see that if this part of the internal protection system goes even a little bit awry, that you can have some fairly serious consequences. Now, this is the case when we discuss a moderate to severe anxiety disorder. Now, as far as my concerns, my anxieties were always high, as far back as I can remember. Now, I had the nervousness and the shaking, the racing thoughts and the distraught feelings, concerns about what others would think, 
I worried about the bullying, the teasing, social events drove me crazy. I, I didn't want to make a fool of myself, of course, and so forth. Now, to counteract this problem, uh, I learned very early on to plan every moment of my life. Now, even small deviations to my plans by others or by life in general, which happens regularly, caused me serious anxiety. So I spent a lot of time being anxious. I struggled handling the different outcomes than what I had planned. And I planned everything, and even for all eventualities. Today, I still drive my wife crazy with my planning, although I really don't have a lot of the anxiety that goes with it any longer. Now, that is one thing you're going to find with anxious people. We plan things and rehearse it over and over again in our minds until we believe that we have solved all of our expected and some of the unexpected outcomes. Now, I, struggling, I struggled handling even the smallest of constructive criticism about my planning and my performance and certainly could not tolerate negative criticism. I was anxious in planning from the moment I woke up until I could finally fall asleep, and I often fell asleep planning for the next day or week. I was always worried about failure in every sense of my life and even the small portions. Now, I didn't like to fail, of course, but I, and I don't think anybody does. And failure for me personally, in private, was bad enough. But for me, failure in public was overwhelming to the senses. And for that reason, I typically avoided things where I might look foolish or where I would fail in the slightest degree. Even if I did succeed in some portion of my planning and performance, my talents or my studies or activities, and it only had a few minor blemishes, the focus was never upon the successful portion of the event, always upon the blemishes. Those blemishes often kept me from continuing to learn, to continuing to work and overcome those obstacles and achieve a more perfect performance. I took every comment from everyone seriously and simply could not handle what would be for be referred to as teasing. I found that I had some talent at one time in my life in the arts, but simply never pursued it because I could not produce a perfect drawing or painting in the first few times that I accomplished it. So in some senses, I wanted to be a professional artist without all the problems and anxiety and work associated with being the amateur first. Uh, the same was true for sports and academics in every part of my life. I really only pursued that which came natural to, to me without much work. Now, those who suffer anxiety are often perfectionists, but not in the sense which you would think of trying over and over and getting it right. We have to be the first. We have to be perfect the first few times, not the twentieth. I don't think that I ever really failed at something terribly and then returned thinking, "Well, that didn't work. I guess I need some more practice." I tended to drift to things that came more easily to me and without significant failure or work or effort beyond that first failure. I needed praise, and I needed to be perfect the first time to be able to continue forward in my learning. Now, as you can imagine, this limited my abilities to pursue many things in my early life. Now, I worried about tests and friends and relationships and almost everything you can think of that involves daily teenage life. Someone noticed something on my clothing, the way I walked, the way I talked, 
uh, my hair out of place or anything about me in a negative sense, I would immediately change the behavior. I would spend hours rehearsing various scenarios, discussions in my mind to help alleviate some of my more poignant feelings. But even with all my rehearsal about what I would do and say and could do, when it came time to perform, I was generally a disaster in the sense of composure. Sweaty, shaky, hands, racing thoughts, physically sick and often really unable to perform because my senses and body were overwhelmed. And we all experience some level of performance anxiety, and I'm not talking about getting up in front of people to act or speak. Performance anxiety is really about having to accomplish a task or something in public or the presence of others. It could be reading aloud or as simple as even sitting in a class of peers. Now we perform all day long when we are out in public, whether anyone really notices or not, or whether we're thinking that we are performing or not. Now most of us get a little bit of sweaty palms, maybe a shaky knees, a dry mouth, and perhaps other more mild symptoms. The truth of the matter is that those who do not have a disorder can often get over performance anxiety by performing in practice, understanding that mistakes are just really part of the process. Now, they're going to hear the critics, but they don't necessarily let those negative comments dissuade them from continuing to practice. And, of course, when you're a teenager, teenage critics are still learning social behavior and how to really give positive, constructive criticism. And so their response to another person failing can be hurtful, harsh, and not very supportive. Well, the reality is they can be downright mean. This type of response is a crushing blow to someone with an anxiety disorder. Criticism confirms to the anxiety disorder or the affected person that the behavior should never be repeated. It becomes more than simply a failure from which to learn. It becomes a tremendous mountain never to be moved again or to become at again. In addition to setting up this mountainous roadblock in their minds, the person may never again visit the location or the type of failure. For instance, I have an internal aversion to the dentist that I that derives from my childhood days. My wife laughs even now at my aversion to dental procedures or even visiting the dentist. I had some very serious anxious moments as a child, as you can imagine, in the dentist office, and that has created really a mental roadblock that lives today. I don't mind the dentists, and I will admit my fear to be irrational, but subconsciously, I avoid making appointments and going to the dentist. Now, the same is true for needles and shots. Now, I really don't mind them if I really think about them, but the learned anxiety still exists today with me. Most people who have normal anxiety are often just glad the moment or the performance is over until the next moment arrives. And it doesn't necessarily concern them uh, as it would with someone with an anxiety disorder. They may remain nervous, but they just don't build those mountains. Still others seem to take that anxiousness and they can turn it around and use it to enhance their performance. Anxiety becomes a serious problem when it is disabling to the body and serious roadblocks are formed. Now most of us have a few mild roadblocks from past days, even without an anxiety disorder. We don't like heights, we don't like wolves in my wife's case and so forth, but they really aren't gonna cause serious problems with everyday tasks and living our lives. However, there are about 18 to 20 percent of the population that everyday tasks such as leaving the house, talking on the phone, 
speaking in social groups is a significant problem. If they have to attend church and they might have to pray in public, the fear is paralyzing and they find themselves staying home. For teenagers facing ridicule or unknown events that occur regularly in school or even church situations is often too much for their anxiety response and they will become defiant, they'll become reclusive, unresponsive, sometimes physically ill and really un otherwise be unwilling to participate. The anxious experience can be such a difficulty that they can become truly physically ill every time they have to attend a certain class, interact with a certain teacher or student, or face a particular problem or a testing situation. Their minds can become a blank slate when faced with a testing situation, even when they have drilled the answers so deeply that perhaps they're dreaming about them. Now these fears are very real to the person and to the system that protects that person. They are seen as serious threats even though many of us may not understand why or see them as such. Now, there's a whole field of science based around these anxiety triggers, and you probably even know some yourself. It would take far too long to work through even the basic tenets of the science, but for today, that is not what I would consider important. What is important is the identification of the anxiety and to begin the process of treatment, whatever that form may take. So how does one even know if their anxiety falls into this disorder category? And when does a nervousness become a disorder? Now the truth is, is it's gonna really depend upon the person and the support around them. Anxiety exists upon the full spectrum from mild agitation to reclusive behaviors where one might not venture out of their own space. However, there are some questions you might ask to get to those answers. Uh, question number one, are the effects of the anxiety mild enough for the individual to work through the nervousness by working through the problem through perhaps repeated performances? Or are the effects sufficiently overwhelming that a more methodical brain training approach is going to be necessary, maybe with medication? So an example, for, for instance, is it possible for the individual to work through their test anxiety by taking verbal tests and steadily moving to more traditional testing methods? removing those emotional unknowns as they go. Now, often that question about overwhelming problems is answered by the first remedy of methodical training. If after some time the individual is still not able to respond to, to the testing uh, as they have worked through trying to remove the emotional unknowns, then perhaps further treatment with a professional and medication might be necessary. Now, what portions of life, now this is Sorry, question number two, what portions of the life experience are going to be affected by the anxiety symptoms? Is a person refusing to go to school? Are they afraid to walk down the block? Are they afraid to face certain individuals or problems in their lives? What is, what is it that the anxiety is really removing from their lives? What activity? For instance, if the person doesn't like heights, then generally heights probably can be avoided and that's probably not gonna be a real problem with a life situation, but if a person cannot sit in a classroom with other people without being overwhelmed, then that type of experience probably could be life-altering. Question number three, after you've identified those areas of concern, what is going to be the logical outcome if the anxiety were continued to affect the life of the individual? Now, for example, 
Not attending school could be a large issue in the eventual possibilities and careers of the individual. Unable to socialize could be detrimental to career opportunities. Now, not, not, not walking near the edge of a building perhaps might not be something that really needs too much serious attention. For teenagers, anxiety may not just be one thing, though. It can be a complex compilation of social matters, relationship concerns, body image, intelligence, peer pressures, and parental pressures. Meaning, it may not just be one thing. It might be several things that they need to work through. The real key to addressing even the serious anxieties is to really help identify those concerns. The real concerns, not just the topical ones and begin to address it with some kind of treatment. Now, often you may need help with this portion of the problem. And psychologists or other brain trainers um, that are educated can help tremendously. Now, I know sometimes there might be a fear on both the side of the one affected and the parent. Um, but you're going to find those who work with serious anxieties very compassionate and helpful in identifying real problems and anxieties and also very helpful in slowly working to change the chemical and physiological reasons and responses for the anxiety. Now, if the teenager exhibits a great general anxiety for many things, sometimes medication can be helpful as part of the process. I have a couple of children who have a general anxiety for a variety of situations, and a mild medication has been very helpful to them. However, even with medication, the process is almost always going to involve some type of facing and anxious, that fear, that anxiousness. Now, this doesn't mean that if a teenager has a general fear of going to school, that you take them to the school, blindfold them, and lead them in their, lead them in their first classroom. What it means is that facing the fear and learning is probably going to take a softer approach in time. Now, learning to control those impulses that paralyzed portions of the body, takes time and often a slow introduction. And it's going to take a pretty serious commitment on the part of the parent and patience and mountains of encouragement. It can also help to review planning skills with a child. While planning, those planning skills may not solve every portion of the child's problem, it can help the child or the teenager to work through what is causing the concern and how best to alleviate it. Meaning, have them work through the event in their mind that they fear and make plans and rehearse those plans in their minds and perhaps in the mirror if necessary to where they will feel more comfortable. Uh, there are some types of anxiety that are often more difficult to overcome than a particular fear or anxiety. Now, these particular types of anxiety are often controllable without proper medication. We're talking, these are talking uh, panic attacks, a claustrophobia, some types of OCD, and very specific anxiety disorders that exist where simply working through the fear is probably not going to provide you a resolution. There are several good medications that exist that can help ease symptoms, and therapy and brain training should be employed, but understand that even with good brain training and good medication, they may still continue throughout one's life. So beyond retraining the mind and some medication, one will often consider how best to adapt the anxiety into one's life with the smallest effect possible. Basically, avoiding trigger events through planning. So now we come to the part of what does this have to do with being a member of the church and how does anxiety affect us as church members? Well, 
that is going to be in part two of this episode. May the Lord bless you in your efforts, and may you continue in your fight so that he can do his part in your life. Talk to you next week.